This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome to Is It My ADHD, the podcast about what it really feels like to have attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. I'm Grace Timothy and I'm a writer and I wasn't diagnosed with ADHD until I was 37. I'd struggled with traits I now know to be ADHD all my life, but it wasn't until a routine hearing appointment with a doctor who happened to have ADHD himself that these traits were pieced together and it was suggested that I get referred for an assessment. Had it not been for that random moment with an audiologist, I'd still be undiagnosed now and still struggling, just like the two million women thought to have undiagnosed ADHD in the UK today. I want to better understand what ADHD feels like for women and non-binary people, in whom ADHD is so often missed, thanks to the fact that the diagnostic criteria and research is all heavily skewed to the white male case study. I've therefore spoken to some incredible women about how ADHD affects their lives, exploring everything from friendship and work to dating and self-esteem. I've also pulled in some experts along the way to help us tackle the big questions from you and from my guests. Is it my ADHD when I ghost old friends, for example? Is it my ADHD when I break the photocopier at work? And is it my ADHD when I share nudes on Instagram? My hope is that we can spread awareness of ADHD in women and non-binary people and that you'll find some comfort in knowing you're far from being alone. Because with the right support, we can be truly amazing. Today, we're diving into the idea of oversharing, something that is a big part of a lot of our lives with ADHD. Now, for me, this plays into the idea that we're often considered extra or too much. Who is to say what is an overshare versus some kind of standard share after all? I despise the idea that there are things that should remain unsaid, especially when they're so often related to women's health, sexuality and mental health. But I now enjoy the idea that I have the guts to share things that other people might think taboo, especially if by sharing it, I'm busting that taboo in some way. Still, I'm so aware of that visceral sting when I realise that I've said something my companion doesn't like. Now, here's the kicker. More often than not, we're oversharing to form a connection with someone, saying the difficult or the taboo thing whilst also dealing with rejection-sensitive dysphoria. What? 
My guest today is Camille Chavier, a fashion writer and consultant who has made a living out of sharing her life online to over a million followers. But ironically, like me, she has also struggled with the fallout from overshare in her personal life. She was diagnosed with ADHD earlier this year. Hi, Camille. I'm so thrilled to have you. Hi, thank you so much for having me. And actually, before we get into it, when we had a chat before, you were telling me how you came to your diagnosis, which I think is really interesting. Well, it was um, thanks to someone that came on this podcast, actually. It was thanks to Stacey Duggett, who... Actually, I, I should give Stacey more credit because she's also one of the reasons I went into fashion writing because years ago she had a column and I remember reading it as a little French expat who was a lawyer and thinking, oh, you can be smart and funny and write about fashion in a way that's not um, superficial. Um, and I think that's where my love affair with writing and writing about fashion and lifestyle kind of began. Um, and then weirdly this year, I read a piece that she wrote about having been diagnosed with ADHD just after her divorce and feeling like her life was falling apart a little bit. And as I was reading it, I was sort of looking at all the symptoms that she was describing and all the things that, um, that, that, that she's gone through. And, and I just felt very, very seen and understood. And I thought, gosh, maybe this is, maybe this is me. Um, and I had actually just changed therapists at the start of the year after the pandemic. My old therapist just somehow wasn't, um, it just wasn't, I wasn't connecting with her anymore. I just felt such a mess, really. I was completely overwhelmed with everything. And I just got married. So there was also like a lot of identity um, questions. And I went to my therapist and said, look, I've read this article and that has led me into a rabbit hole of Google and trying to self-diagnose myself. And she said, look, I was going to wait a few more sessions before telling you this because I felt like it was, I wanted to kind of lead you there. But yes, I, I do think you have ADHD. Um, it kind of all went from there because I've been in therapy since I was about 17. I was diagnosed with um, depression then. I had to be taken out of school because I was just not coping at all with anything really. <laughs> and my whole life, I've kind of just thought that my big problem is depression and anxiety and um, that basically if I go to therapy enough and if I work on myself enough and if I, um, I now also take and if I, you know, if I do everything sort of try and build in the structure to help me keep all those worries at bay that I'll, I, I will end up being okay. But realizing I had ADHD was actually so freeing because it was like being given the manual to your brain and finally understanding that actually those are not the real issue. Those are just the symptoms of what happens to me when I get completely overwhelmed and my brain turns on me because I think and this is the sad thing about ADHD. It kind of, I think it does make you feel like you just don't understand life. You just don't understand how other people are doing the base, just basic things that seem so easy to them, but for you just seem outrageously complicated. And when you try and explain it to people, and even now I'm finding that, which is, I think, also why I was, I really wanted to come on this podcast because I do think. If you try and explain to people what ADHD is, they just don't really understand. And I know we repeat this all the time, but I do think it's worth saying it again. It, it really is so far away from, you know, the little boy who's running around and can't sit down and, you know, is getting bad grades at school because he can't focus. It's just not that. 
And yeah, like finding out has been, it's just been amazing. I mean, it's also been, it's also been difficult because it also means understanding that you're never going to get better. Obviously your career beyond when you sort of finished with law and went into the blogging world, there's a certain amount of sharing, right? And I know that also you kind of curate your feed so that it's not necessarily every single thought in your head is out on Instagram, which obviously for a lot of people is is vlogging and blogging. How do you think your ADHD was informing the way that you shared online before you knew you were diagnosed and everything? I think for me, online was this place where I could pretend that everything was normal. I think anybody that's met me in person will know what a hot mess I am. Um, And it's quite difficult to hide that in the flesh. But online, you can actually showcase the parts of you that you're not too ashamed of. And funnily enough, there's a lot I'm not ashamed of. I'm, I'm not scared about writing about, you know, deep thoughts and stuff. But what I am ashamed of is the chaos that surrounds me, the mess, how much I struggle to, you know, just do everyday tasks. And that has never, ever, ever gone online. Because mm. what's, I think, so interesting, and I know, like, obviously, it's an extraordinary life that you've been leading online. You know, you are traveling, the beautiful fashion, all of those things, but you've also kept a quite a firm hand on controlling what that looks like, which is exactly, I think, on another level to relate to. I think everybody who has an Instagram, who has a Facebook, who, you know, puts photos up on their walls, I think everybody has this sense of somehow projecting themselves as together and, you know, all that stuff. I don't think that's just an ADHD thing. I think we do use visuals to kind of control the narrative, don't we? I think while you were in control of that sort of that narrative what was the sharing processes looking like in your sort of personal relationships in terms of sharing and oversharing um well I've always been an oversharer I think like many people that have come on this podcast before I don't do small talk (laughs) I, I I think I need to feel connected to people so badly that I think that if I overshare and tell people my deepest darkest secrets or certainly parts of me that I think are vulnerable and that they can kind of identify with, that I will then be able to receive the same in return from them, which is all I want, really. All I want is to be seeing people fully. And I do think I, I am very, I'm very interested and empathetic and compassionate with people. I've always got on with people that share a lot, a lot better than people who have like that facade. I don't really enjoy, I I always get like that, like kind of gut feeling people that are being a bit fake. I really struggle to be around them. Someone that's not telling me the truth, someone that I I, I kind of feel it. That doesn't necessarily mean that I'm going to get the truth out of them. I'm just going to behave quite weird. (laughs) The problem is, it's not because you show vulnerability that that means that the person opposite you is going to do the same. And I've ended up in situations where either I'm annoying because I'm oversharing in a, in a moment when it's not appropriate, either maybe it's a work event or, or the person hasn't, doesn't want to know, you know, like the, uh, small talk exists for a reason. It's because sometimes it, it's not appropriate to go deep into your traumas or your breakups or, you know, whatever it may be that's bothering you on that day. Sometimes talking about the weather, which is a very British, um, very British Jane Austen kind of thing to do. Maybe it's, it makes life easier for everyone because they don't really want to know how you're doing. And I think that I'm, I'm learning that 
actually taking a step back and not oversharing can also be a form of connection. You know, you actually give people the chance to come to you as opposed to sort of force them into an intimacy that they're not ready for. And I think that's where I've really struggled in my friendships. I've really not understood social cues and that that sort of need for space. Yeah, need for space. And also, yeah, I mean, I, I've also struggled massively with codependency. It's mm. difficult because I don't know if it's if it's just me, but I think more than anything, I think all humans are the same. I think all we ever want is to connect, is to be seen and understood and to find, you know, people that like can deeply understand and will see the parts of you that that you think you should be ashamed of. If you can find the people that can see those parts of you without judgment and can let you be all those things, the things that you are proud of, but also the things that you're ashamed of, then you found your real friends. And the problem in my experience has been that I've kind of found those people, but because of other sides of my ADHD, it's been difficult to maintain those friendships. So it's it's an everyday kind of learning curve, I think. <laughs> I find a lot of the time if I'm talking to somebody, I have to now remind myself to let them speak their truth and not jump in with my own version of the story. Because I, that's another way to connect, isn't it? You tell me this awful thing happened to me the other week and it's like shaken me up and I will jump in and say, oh, that happened to me too. So we can connect over this. Whereas actually the other person feels like you're not listening you're self-obsessed, all those things. Is that something else that's kind of, you know, acted out in terms of the sharing? Massively. It's been a huge problem, actually. Like, my manager has noticed the difference. And she said to me, it's, it's, it's incredible how since you found out about this, you've completely changed your way with interacting with people. And you've start, I've, I can actually see you do it, where you realize you catch yourself speaking over people and you know, trying to compensate, you know, like the awkwardness that you feel by, you know, like talking too much, talking over people or going in too deep immediately. And I can see you kind of take a step back, take a breather and kind of ask, ask a question and, and let the person speak and give them the space that they need also to, because not everybody wants to communicate in the same way. And that's something to, but you know, like, embarrassingly I've also even with my really good friends sometimes have to remind myself to to you know like they're telling me a story and like I my brain is sort of switching off and going elsewhere so I have to pull myself back into the conversation and force myself to ask a question and I'm sure that my very best friends can feel me doing it because they they say to me that they can see when I'm when I've gone and I'm very lucky to still have people in my life who can kind of accept that I kind of flit in and out of being there because like my brain is just constantly taking me places where, and, and obviously I also, we talk about this oversharing um, in my career and Instagram and having one point, like whatever it is, million followers. It also has meant that I've developed a very bad addiction to my phone. A phone obviously helps you be stimulated at all time, which is what I need with ADHD. So I'm, and, and it's manifested itself in different ways. I used to be always on WhatsApp. I used to be having 20 WhatsApp conversations at the same time with a million different people because I just needed like that, you know, constant interaction and stimulation. Now, and since the pandemic, I really don't need that anymore. Also, I'm like now in a very healthy relationship and I don't feel the need to sort of, you know, maintain all these superficial in, in a way, like, you know, this, this 
communication, which doesn't actually work for anyone. The problem is people have noticed that shift and don't understand why I've gone from talking all the time to talking not at all. For me, it's because I've shifted my addiction to sort of listening to podcasts. <laughs> I don't even realize I'm doing it. I was saying to you yesterday um, that I always tell my partner when he gets upset with me, and he gets upset with me quite often because he says that he'll start talking to me and halfway through a very often very important conversation, I'll reach my phone and start, you know, like, and I said to him, like, I'm really sorry I do this. I, I'll either do it because I'm getting stressed about the conversation because I'm going to have to voice my opinion. I'm afraid I'm going to say something wrong because I, I'm quite blunt. I find it very hard to sugarcoat my words. And in a situation where someone's being needs you to sort of take a step back and actually like, you know, as you said, not make it about you and just listen, maybe. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The second series of Is It My ADHD is made possible by our sponsor, To Better Days. Chronic pain and migraines are a well-documented comorbidity of ADHD. It's something we often see within our community. It is also an issue that, like ADHD, can be wildly difficult to pin down and find support for. 70% of those who experience chronic pain are women, and on average it takes more than seven years to obtain a diagnosis. Two Better Days is keen to support and empower the chronic pain community, not just with their drug-free pain relief patches for migraines and chronic pain, but by giving those affected a voice and really listening to understand the daily challenges of self-advocacy and effective pain management. Everyone's pain is different and complex, and Two Better Days don't overpromise. But their hope is that a patch you can pop in your pocket in case of a flare can ease your day. They have also given listeners of this podcast 10% off all products if you use the code GRACE10. Thank you so much to Better Days. But it's an interesting thing, though, that you've obviously switched from something that broadcasts your thoughts all the time, like via WhatsApp, to something where you're taking in a broadcast and it's nothing to do with you sharing. That's quite an interesting shift. Because I think, I, I mean, I don't know about you, but I definitely, when I learned more about the kind of social side of it and friendships and, and this whole oversharing thing, which I, again, I still really struggle with it because I think I'm just sharing. If you don't like talking about menstruation, I'm really sorry. I, you know, I will learn. But ultimately, you know, it's just, it's my thoughts. But I feel like you sometimes when you get the diagnosis, you become sort of more cautious about things and knowing what's appropriate and not. And then you just shut the hell up, don't you? And just you can kind of go into yourself, which is obviously not ideal because, you know, you're contributing worthwhile stuff to the world. For sure. And I think also it has it has made me feel a little bit unsafe because mm. now that I've realized that I'm not doing it on purpose and this is something that that is part of me and that I can't just drum out of me in, with with therapy or whatever, or medication or whatever it is, I've started to also be more self-aware when I'm in big groups and stuff as, of how sensitive I get, how easily rejected I feel, how lonely I feel, how, again, I don't think that I'm exaggerating by saying I get bullied quite regularly. 
by groups of people who I don't know if it's because they can sense that I'm vulnerable or that it's me that puts myself in that situation because I seek out complex people because I I like spending time with people that I can't figure out, which is a silly thing to say, obviously, because you can't figure anyone out. Every, everybody is a, an iceberg. And I think me thinking that some people are easier to figure out than others is patronizing. But for some reason, the ADHD has kind of made me feel like I can only be around people that are very damaged and very, very complex and very have a lot of depth to them that they don't necessarily show immediately. And I'm kind of like, well, to continue with this analogy, like exploring the Titanic when I'm like in my friendship with them, trying to sort of, you know, trying to sort of get beneath the layers and it has actually been very painful for me because I've ended up in situations where I've been very badly burnt because either these people don't want to share these things and they're just going to pull away or they're going to sense that like there's this side of you that's incredibly vulnerable and they're going to use it against you. And and it's, it hurts. It's really painful. I'm still learning how to, you know, pick people better, you know, in the same way as you can have toxic, toxic, um, relationships and end up with with men or women that treat you ba- badly when you're in a relationship. I've somehow ended up in the same situation in friendships more often than not. And coming to terms with that and realizing that, because also when you have ADHD, you get so easily bored, you end up being a bit of a social butterfly. So I flip from group to group and I'm not doing it because I'm not interested in these people. I'm doing it because it for me to connect like you'd have to like really share an awful lot and i've understood that that's not necessarily possible I mean, so you just go and get you know all these things from lots of different kinds of people and yeah so it i mean i don't know about you but friendship for me is still one of the big question marks how how do i get this right how do i not forget my good friend's birthdays how do i understand that um you're having a bad week, but someone else also could be having a bad week. And it's not all about you. And it's not because your ADHD has made you completely withdrawn this week. And you're, you know, sat at home staring at a wall because you've maxed yourself out at fashion week and talked to so many people that now for two weeks, you don't want to speak to anyone. And your friend might need you, you know, your friends might need you and they just don't understand this. And the problem is when you you think you're giving a lot, because when you're with them, you really are giving a lot. But actually, you're being super inconsistent. You're here, you're not here. You're Sometimes you're really present. Other times you're completely, you know, either engrossed in your phone or in your head, in your thoughts. And I think people really struggle with understanding, like, whether you're being honest as a person. Mm. Well, and I think also the irony of a condition that makes you far more prone to rejection-sensitive dysphoria, coupled with the fact that you are, like, you can be a highly disruptive and destructive person in a social... Like, what? Like, how did we pair those things together? It's so unfair, isn't it? Because actually, if you went through life with a thick skin, kind of not noticing these things, but instead, you say something in a group of people or to one person, and if the reaction isn't exactly what you need it to be, it's that paranoia sets in. You're thinking, oh my God, they hate me. And I did a terrible thing. I mean, it's just like, it's the worst combination, isn't it? Yeah. And I think also like, I'm, I'm not trying to fetch the tiny violins here, but in my case, which also couple that with like a life where you're sharing to 1.3 million people, meaning that you're always seemingly on the outside, it seems like everything is going swimmingly for you. You know, you're projecting like all the, as I said, like, you know, amazing 
outfits, you're working with all these amazing brands, you're traveling, you're doing all this stuff. So it's very difficult for people to understand that actually on the inside, it's it's just not the case. But so common because look at, you know, the people that we know. So common. I think you wouldn't go into this kind of career. You don't feel that need to overshare and get external validation if you yourself are secure in your own values and your own qualities and, and, and in your own life, basically. I think I've always been very insecure. And that's why I've ended up in this career. Well, that piece, though, about external validation, that's what oversharing is for, really, right? Like an element of that of is so that someone says, oh, yeah, me too. Totally. Like that's that's normal. And this is why I'm really happy to come on this podcast. And which is why if I kind of look and read in between the lines, which is why I think I haven't shared my ADHD on social media, I've been struggling a little bit with how how we are now using our traumas and mental health issues and vulnerabilities for clout. I do think it's important to share because I do think sharing our stories can help others and it can also help us connect in ways that you would never be able to share by just showing, you know, the good stuff. I suppose in real life it is that chaos of letting loose with your emotions and stuff in person, right? So if you have a new friend and immediately you're telling them your marital issues and you're crying on their shoulder all the time, it kind of, it sets a tone for the relationship, doesn't it? And I know, I've, you know, I've definitely had friends where we've, we've opened on that note. And then when either me or the other person has sort of got over that phase in some way and has been repaired, I suppose, there's nothing left for you to do you know what I mean? When, so you, when you take away that overshare or the trauma or whatever, it's like, oh, what do we have now? We kind of, you know, and then you kind of enter that weird ghosting phase where you're like, oh, hi. Yeah, you know all about, you know, I don't know, my sex life or, you know, my divorce or my relationship with my parents. And now we don't speak. And that's quite weird. You know, there's a mirror, isn't there, from I think whatever you go through online um, as a, you know, huge influencer to everybody else, you know, will be doing this exactly the same processes, just not as visibly, perhaps. But I mean, I don't think you have to be a huge influencer to be tempted to use social media platforms to share in the same way as influencers are sharing. And the thing is about influencers is that we set the tone, is that we we shifted the desire to, you know, become a supermodel or whatever it was that I wanted to be when I was younger, which obviously was never going to happen, to becoming an influencer because that they seem to be these jobs where you get all these, it's all golden, you know, you you get to brush shoulders with celebrities, you get sent things. So I think, although I do agree with you that perhaps my experience is an extreme version of what everybody else is going through, I still think that we're all mimicking and mirroring each other. I think we're all looking at what each other are doing and trying to sort of establish what the right social cues are. And online, it's very difficult because the algorithm rewards you with something that you can measure very clearly, which is not the case when you're having a conversation with a friend, you know, when maybe you just give them a hug at the end of the conversation, and that's what you're getting from it. And it's actually like that is connection, having a conversation with someone where perhaps, and and perhaps it was just in that moment, but at least you had that, whereas with social media, like, what are you getting out of it? Yes, okay, you've got a few likes, but how is that helping anyone? It goes back to that, you know, that kind of Facebook thing where people used to post a status that was sort of suitably enigmatic, like, Oh, just, you know, some people are just really doing my head in at the moment. And then there's like, you okay, hun, underneath and like all yeah. the comments. It kind of goes back to that dynamic, doesn't it? Which I'm sure everybody has done something along those lines at some point in their lives. Well, I was thinking back to our Facebook statuses, but even like, even go back further, our MSN profiles. And mm. it always, online has always been such a sort of 
it's such a game to lure people in, you know. It, it's, it really is a different way of communicating than in real life. If you think about it, the, the people who do it super well online are the ones who can kind of fake that intimacy and make you, make you feel like they are speaking just to you and they are just like you when actually they know exactly what they're doing and they are doing it because every like is money every like that they're getting. So like these parasocial relationships, you're not, it's not equal. When you're with a friend, you're, you're kind of, it, it is an equal relationship. I just don't think it's the same online. Mm, yeah, I completely get that. I think also, so going forward, obviously, now that you have your diagnosis, has, has it affected the way that you share online? Obviously not about your ADHD diagnosis specifically, but has it sort of made you slightly more clam up? I think I have just clammed up a little more in, in general, since I've found out, I think I'm just in a period of transition. I think finding out something like this is, it means rethinking a lot of things that you knew about yourself and you knew about the world and looking back at a lot of things that you went through and kind of, kind of also like acknowledging that things have been really hard and that there was a reason for that. And I know actually I'm planning on oversharing quite a lot <laughs> because I'm, I'm, currently in the process of writing a book and oh, of course yeah yeah and I, I I think on the contrary the reason I've kind of taken a step back from writing articles and sharing online is that I I, I kind of now I'm acknowledging that that is just not really going to allow me to go deep enough and although you can make people laugh or you know make people smile with a caption or you know share, share something about yourself that that will hopefully help people sometimes I do think that it takes a lot more to show vulnerability. And that's what I'm trying to do at the moment, because I do actually really want to share. And I always have thought that social media could help me achieve that. But I'm starting to realize that it just can't. It's just not designed for that. I now have this weird little voice at the back of my head saying, do you really want to share this? Is this going too far? Which I never really had before, because I was just so kind of chaotic in, in my approach to everything. I didn't really understand myself anyway. So it was just, I, I just very much worked on gut instinct. But now that I've been given this sort of manual of how my brain works, there is a part of me that is quite protective of my, myself now. And that's like, make sure that you're not stretching yourself too thin and that you're not sharing for the wrong reasons and that you're, you're, you're doing this because you want to do this and not because you, what we were talking about before, not because you just want to connect. And so how has that sort of informed the way you write your book? Because I think that, I mean, oh. <laughs> people that usually well. make the best authors, like it's true. Look at like all the people we've had on here. They've all pretty much written books at some point. Well, let me tell you, this is turning out to be the, diff the hardest thing that I've ever done. The thing is, I've done it before. I've written, my dissertation got published and, and it, I know that I've sat for a summer and written for three months without, without doing anything else. So I know I can do it. There's a part of me that knows I can do it. But at the moment, I am really struggling with getting anything that has depth to it done. I can do all the little tasks, all the emails and the writing a caption from Instagram, picking an outfit. I can do all of that. But anything that actually wants for me to engage my brain and actually sit still I'm really finding super hard. And I can't tell whether that's because of the diagnosis and that because of it, I'm kind of, I've really gone into my head and that has caused a lot of extra noise, meaning that there's kind of no more bandwidth. So there's no room for anything else or whether it's because 
I'm never going to be able to do it and I need to take the medication, which is something that my therapist has suggested. But for the time being, I have said no because I want to try without. Um, I feel like we could talk about this all day, but I also feel like you need to go write your book. And I am not going to be one of the reasons that that is a struggle today. So thank you so much, Cami, for coming on. And I can't wait to read your book. And and also just to continue with you on your journey. I'm really grateful that um, I got to come on and talk to you. Your podcast has been really helpful. And the women that have come on have shared in a way that is so vulnerable and, and powerful. I really hope it helps others as well. We now turn to an expert. Today, it's Dr. Mohamed Abdelghani. He is a lead consultant psychiatrist specializing in adult ADHD, both for the NHS and at his private practice, Dyad Medical, in London. And so I'm so thrilled to have him here today to decipher. Is it my ADHD when I overshare? Yes, and it doesn't come like if you read textbooks and literature about ADHD, it will not be written as one of the symptoms, but it's very clearly that it goes under impulsivity. So people who's ADHD, they're quite impulsive, so they say things without thinking, they talk more than other people, and this also brings a lot of negative emotions at times because the person cannot trust themselves if they're in a situation, oh, I shouldn't have said this. Oh, I did overshare uh, when I was speaking to that friend. I did disclose a secret to someone else and so on. So yes, oversharing can be seen as one of the impulsive symptoms of ADHD. At the same time, it can also be seen that people with ADHD like to be continuously stimulated. So by oversharing, most probably the discussion would be more juicy. So people tend to overshare when they have ADHD. And we see a lot of improvement in this when people get treated. Thank you so much for joining me and this community of amazing people. We'd love it if you could follow Is It My ADHD wherever you get your podcasts from. And now I'd love to hear from you. What other perspectives would you like to see explored in future episodes? Find me on Instagram at Is It My ADHD to continue the conversation.